But our text for this afternoon is Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 24. This is the word of Almighty God. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Heavenly Father, again, we just ask this, that you would add your blessing, the presence of your spirit, the teaching, the unction your spirit gives to the teaching and reading of your word. Help us to hear and obey. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. You can be seated. What causes conflicts in churches? Now, you guys not, might not be aware of this, but sometimes churches have conflicts. Um, you've heard of these, right? Sometimes conflicts comes when pe- come when people have honest, genuine disagreement over a doctrine or an issue. Good people can disagree very strongly over difficult topics, and they can even disagree to a point where they just have to agree not to agree with one another. But often conflicts come when people in the church are upset simply in not getting their way. Sometimes conflicts come when people want to be seen as more important than others. What is the sin there when someone wants to be seen as more important than others in the body? Pride, yeah. It's pride. It's pride of a particular kind, isn't it? There's a pride that comes when a person in the church loses their focus. When we take our eyes off of the things that are important and we can find ourselves tempted to fight to get our own way, to to not be overlooked, to be the one in charge. Have you ever felt that temptation that, man, people don't appreciate me enough. People don't take me seriously enough. People don't do things my way enough. In Jesus' day, the religious around him were regularly tempted to put themselves forward to be noticed. There were many who stopped doing religious things for the glory of God and they instead lived for power and prestige. These people didn't think first and foremost about the Lord and God's glory. Instead, they thought about how they might be seen as more impressive And Jesus, in the verses that really precede the passage that we just read, he spoke about those folks. Somewhat early in his ministry on earth, the Lord Jesus went up on a small mountain in Galilee where he sat down and he taught his disciples about the good news of the kingdom of God. And that teaching of Jesus we find recorded in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. And what do we call Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7? The Sermon on the Mount. 
In many ways, the message on the Sermon on the Mount, it's, it's a collection of the of teachings of Jesus on the lives of citizens of the kingdom of God. Back in chapter 5, Jesus taught about the followers of the Lord and showed how they respond to the commands of God from the heart. But chapter 6 began with a set of teachings that call on believers to serve the Lord for the sake of heavenly reward. Jesus calls on us to give, to pray, and even to fast for the sake of the glory of God and not for the attention we can draw to ourselves. And in each of those three areas, Jesus pointed out that people who give so that they can get attention, who pray in such a way as to try to impress people, who, who fast to show off how committed they are, he said those people have received the only reward they're going to get. If your religious practice is a thing you do to get the praise of other people, the praise of people is the only reward you're going to get. But the true follower of Jesus serves him for heavenly reward. And that's worth far more than any praise you can get from any people. So today we're going to watch as Jesus teaches about being citizens of God's kingdom. We know that we're not supposed to live in this world for the praise of other people. We know that we're not to do acts of Christian service just to impress other people. But how do we guard against that? And the answer is going to come in three points as Jesus calls us to have a heavenly focus. A heavenly mindset, a God-focused life. So let's find our three points. Point number one, store up heavenly treasure. Store up heavenly treasure. Verses 19 through 21, again read, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What do you treasure? Where is your treasure? It's not at all unusual for a book or for a teacher or a story to use the concept of a treasure to teach a lesson. You read about pirates going after buried treasure on Treasure Island. Indiana Jones is always after some archaeological treasure or another. Apparently the Declaration of Independence has an invisible map on the back of it leading you to a treasure if you watch the right movie. And the Word of God has often used treasure to teach us. Matthew 13, right? There's a big collection of the parables of Jesus. And the shortest parable that he gives us is in one single verse. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Matthew 13, 44. How simple is that? God's kingdom, it's like a man finding a buried treasure in a field. And when he finds it, he's excited. He's willing to give up everything that he has in the world. If only he can have that one treasure. God's kingdom is worth so much. 
It would be totally worth it for you to give up everything else you have if only you can have the kingdom of God. Well, just after rewarding, warning people not, not to do religious actions for the rewards and the praise of men, Jesus illustrates with treasure. And like the parable, it's very simple. If you had the choice, what kind of treasure do you want? Do you want a treasure that you will lose, or do you want a treasure you'll keep? Look at, look at verse 19. Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. Simply put, do not treasure earthly treasures. Why not? Why would we not want to treasure earthly treasures? The answer is, we lose them. When Jesus talks about earthly treasures, he suggests a couple of ways that you can lose them. In the, in the first century, your house was probably built of earth, not thick wood and metal, right? A thief might be able to dig through your wall and get your stuff. But even if thieves didn't get into your house to steal your treasure, it's also possible that your treasure could simply be destroyed, right? Moths eat through cloth that people value. Rust might destroy a thing that you value. But that's not just a first century problem, is it? That's a real thing in our world today. There's still thieves that would take from people. And no matter how well built any product is that you buy, it's lost or stops working, right? Computers crash. You guys experienced that before? Cars break down. Anybody have that one in their life? Clothes wear out. Sometimes they just go out of fashion. Gaming systems and smartphones become obsolete. But you might say to yourself, you could build up for yourself treasures that are well protected. I'm, I'm going to buy the best stuff. I'm going to have long-lasting stuff. I'm going to put the best guards around it. And guess what? Even if you do that, you still can't keep your treasure. In Luke 12, 15 to 21, Jesus tells a parable. It says, he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. You guys know what that feels like, right? You've got so much, you just don't even know where to keep it all, right? And he said, I'll do this. I'll tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, you know what word God uses next for this man? God said to him, fool, this night, your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. 
Even if you buy for yourself the highest quality stuff, which I believe means you shop at Target and not Walmart, but I'm not sure. Even if you build for yourself the biggest bank account, even if you hire the strongest, most rugged, manly protection you can buy to guard your stuff, I've got a couple of men that I could name right now, but I'm not going to do it because they would be embarrassed. Even if you did that, your earthly treasure still isn't yours, is it? Because you know what? You will die. You will stand before your Lord. And when you die, your worldly treasure will no longer be yours. What are some of the things people treasure? Because there are things that I don't know that you're considering. So ask yourself, what do some people focus their lives on? What do some people live their lives for? Let me give you a list, and you tell me if these sound like things people chase after in the 21st century, okay? Um, entertainment. Do people live for entertainment these days? Drugs or alcohol, mind-altering substances. Do people go after that with their lives today? How about just possessions, wealth, yeah? Sex, fame, the envy of others? How about this one? How about career success? Does anybody ever have their life consumed by career aspirations today? What do y'all think? Is, it, is that an accurate list of the kind of things people treasure today? I'll wait. Okay, just checking. If you don't talk, I don't know you're here. You could leave and I wouldn't know. Please don't. Okay, turn to the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 2. We'll come back to Matthew, but turn to Ecclesiastes 2. How long do you think people have been chasing after that list of things I just gave you? Because I want to show you something Solomon gave us nearly three millennia ago. Ecclesiastes 2, 1 through 11, Solomon tells us the things that for a season of his life he turned to to try to fill his life, to try to give his life meaning, to make his life matter. I want you to watch with me to see the treasures Solomon chased after and then to hear the conclusion Solomon drew, okay? Have you found Ecclesiastes 2? Look at verses 1 and 2. Solomon says, I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with, see the word there? Pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this also was vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad, and of pleasure, what use is it? So here the king tried pleasure as a treasure. He longed for laughter and chased it. And don't you know that people still live for a few laughs today? Verse 3. I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine, my heart still guiding me with wisdom and how to lay hold of folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. So here the king went after wine. He, he tried mind-altering substance. 
here, right? Now, the Bible does not condemn alcohol in moderation, but it always condemns drunkenness. The king here chased pleasure through alcohol, and people still live for that or something like it today, don't they? Okay. Now look, fourth through the beginning of eight. I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I had also great possessions of herds and flocks more than anybody who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women. So here the king has property. He has success. He has money. Beautiful homes, beautiful gardens. All the comforts he could dream of were at his disposal. Does anybody remember, you know, the Robin Leach and the lifestyles of the rich and famous years ago? Or some of you goofy HGTV people watching like House Hunters and stuff today where the people are buying the multi-million dollar homes on an island somewhere? How many people seem to long for what Solomon said today? A lot, right? The end of verse 8, he says, And many concubines, the delight of the sons of men. If you know the story of King Solomon, you know that he had a gigantic harem. He married 300 women and had 700 concubines. He, he lived for the pleasures of sex. Do people still give their lives in that pursuit today? Verse 9, So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me. Here the king impressed himself with his greatness as he compared it to others. Don't many people today live for fame, for the approval of others, to do better than others? Verse 10, and whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for my toil. Pleasure in his toil is what the king found here. He loved his work. He loved his career achievement. People still live to climb the corporate ladder today, don't they? Now, I just told you everything Solomon had, right? Laughter, wine, possessions, sex, fame, corporate achievement. What did chasing these prizes get King Solomon. Look at verse 11. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil that I'd expended in doing it, and behold, all was vanity, striving after wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. King Solomon, more than anybody you've ever known, had all the treasures this world could offer. 
He had entertainment, drink, property, sex, fame, career achievement. And when he looked at every bit of it with his mind clear, what he said about it is that all of this treasure was vanity. It was emptiness. It had the same lasting substance as soap bubbles. It meant nothing. It was worth Solomon for a time lived his life for earthly treasure and it led him into sin and it left him empty compare that to what the author of Hebrews says about Moses in Hebrews 11 24 to 26 he says by faith Moses when he was grown up refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt for he was looking to the reward Moses turned his back on earthly treasures in Egypt for the sake of having a heavenly reward. And this fits exactly what Jesus is saying to us in Matthew 6. In Matthew 6, 20, the Savior said, But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Earthly treasure leaves you empty. Earthly treasure fills you with worry. Earthly treasure makes you fear losing it. Earthly treasure always makes you think you'll do better if you could just get a little bit more of it. Earthly treasure can never satisfy your soul. But God wants you and me to understand that there is a treasure that will fill your soul with joy. There's a treasure you can have and never ever lose. And that is the treasure that we store up in heaven. When the rich young man asked Jesus how to have eternal life, Jesus pointed him away from earthly possessions. He pointed him toward chasing heavenly treasure. In Matthew 19, verse 21, Jesus said to him, If you would be perfect, go and sell what you possess and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come follow me. One mistake I think we make in our lives today is that we do not allow ourselves to desire heavenly treasure. We almost act as if wanting heavenly reward is ignoble. We act as though heaven is so far away. Shouldn't think about it, really. Perhaps we act almost like atheists. Perhaps you function as if this life is all that there is. But if Jesus told us we should seek heavenly reward and store up treasure in heaven, then we should seek heavenly reward and store up treasure in heaven. Of course, this isn't about gold and silver. The point is that there is a reward that lasts. And that reward isn't earthly wealth. It's not the praise of fickle people. The reward that lasts is the, re it's, it's the reward of eternal joy in the presence of the God who made us, who loves us, who saves us. 
Nothing else in the universe can satisfy your soul, but God can. Seek the reward of that satisfaction. And Christ points out to us that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If you treasure things that are not God, you will have a heart for things that are not God. If you treasure things of this earth, your heart will be worldly. But if you store up treasure in heaven, then your heart will be with the Lord. So Christian, make it a goal. Store up heavenly treasure. Second point, develop a heavenly focus. Matthew 6, to 23. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Well, this illustration's a little weird, isn't it? We think a little bit of differently about how you see than the people in the first century thought of it. I don't think we would necessarily say that your eyes are lamps to your body. But as with many a story that Jesus uses to teach, he uses the ideas and the thoughts of the people of his day to help them understand spiritual truth. So the picture is really simple. Good eyes, eyes that see lots of things, he says they are full of light. Eyes that do not see well, well, those are clearly full of darkness. And don't judge me. Since the eye connects to the body, the body is either full of light or dark based on the eye. That's the point here, right? Now, this passage has nothing to do with anyone's physical eyesight. And as I said, I'm glad about that. This passage, and get me here, has everything to do with focus. Where you look, where you gaze, where you linger influences all the rest of your life. Some of the best ways to illustrate this might do with throwing a ball, plowing a field. If a parent teaches a kid how to throw, one of the first things that we teach our little ones to do when we teach them to throw a ball is to look where they want the ball to go. Because your body has a glorious ability to help you follow through on a throw to help you put a ball where your eye is focused. It's just a miracle of how God's made us. Or another way to think about it is, like I said, a farmer plowing a nice straight furrow. Because it's harder than you might think to drive a tractor in a straight line. And that's especially true in times before there were computers and GPS equipment to really help make them do it just perfectly. But if you get a little off track, you get some pretty crooked roads in your fields. And farmers used to teach the people that wanted to learn how to do it the right way to focus on the end of the row. Look down at the end of the row and find a focus point. So instead of just hoping you're holding the wheel straight enough, the farmer would say, 
sight in on a particular rock at the other end, sight in on a particular tree that's straight in front of you, and then drive straight for it. And what Jesus is teaching us, it's like that. It's directly in line with the treasure principle from the previous verses. If you want to know how to store up treasure in heaven, a key, the first step, a key step, is to have a heavenly focus. Put your eyes where you want to go. Set your eyes on the heavenly prize and your life will follow your focus toward it. When Paul wrote his letter to the church in Colossae, he challenged the people about focus. Because, see, there were people in Colossae who were corrupting the faith by bogging people down with this worldly thinking. Some of the people were led into sins of the flesh, like King Solomon. Others of the people were fascinated with earthly superstition. But the mindset of many people in Colossae had nothing to do with the things of God. Their mindset was certainly not focused on heavenly reward. Again, I want to read to you what we read this morning, Colossians 3, 1 through 4. If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who's your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Paul said, If in fact you have been counted as alive in Christ... You need to seek the things that are above where Christ is. Forty days after his resurrection, Jesus ascended up into heaven. Jesus, alive, sat down on the throne of the universe. And there Jesus reigns as king today. And from there, Jesus will return to this earth, establishing his eternal kingdom and reigning forever. And God tells us to set our minds on things that are above and not on things that are on earth. It is a focus directive. Your head is supposed to be in the clouds. Your heart is supposed to be with Jesus in glory and not fixed on trying to milk this present life for everything it's worth. You are to value Christ more than you value your present life. That includes your trips that you wish you could go on. That includes the things you wish you owned. That includes the nice clothes you wish you had. You are to value Jesus and his glory above every last one of those things. Paul said we are counted as having died with Christ. Jesus truly physically died on the cross and we're supposed to think of ourselves as dead to this present world and its treasures. Instead, we are to see ourselves as having been raised with Christ and seated with Christ on his throne. Our actual home is with Jesus, not here. Our true life is with Jesus, not here. And our hope, our true expectation of life is all tied up with the promise of the return of Jesus. Jesus is going to come back to this earth and when he who is our life appears, we will appear with him in glory and our hearts will be fully satisfied when Christ comes back, gives us new resurrection bodies and when we reign with Jesus and when he is king forever. 
The people that have the grace of Jesus will reign with Jesus and rejoice forever in all the joy and all the goodness that Jesus has to give. We will find our souls filled to overflowing as we see the glory of Jesus and as we proclaim his glory forever. This is what we were created for. This is an eternity worth living and it's far better than chasing little minuscule treasures today that'll be gone tomorrow. Focus on eternity. How long are you going to live on this earth, folks? 80 years? How many are going to make it to 80? 90? How many are like, I don't want to go longer than that? So you get 80 years. So you get 90 years. So you get 100 years. So what? You are going to live in a resurrected body with the Lord Jesus Christ forever. And in the light of that, 80 years is nothing. And in the light of that kind of treasure and pleasure, earthly treasures and pleasures of the here and now are empty and meaningless. They are like soap bubbles. They are gone. By the way, you want some nice global travel plans? Wait till Jesus comes back. There's going to be some great sightseeing opportunities at that point. So don't get yourself all upset if you don't make it to Paris in this life. It's all right. If your focus is heavenly, according to Jesus, your eye is good. If your focus is this worldly, your eye is bad. If your focus is bad, your life is full of darkness. We don't want that. We want the heavenly light of the glory of Jesus Christ. So develop a heavenly focus. Third point, last one. Serve your heavenly master. This is a beautiful bridge, by the way, to where we're going as we open the book of Titus next week. Serve your heavenly master. Verse 24 says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Here Jesus ties every bit of this little part together. Your, your focus, your treasure, they come together to ask you this one simple question. Whom do you serve? And I want you to be clear about this, folks. Number one, you do serve a master. Not one of you is free from serving a master. Number two, you can only serve one master. We live in a very binary world. I know a lot of people don't like the word binary these days. It doesn't matter. It's still true. You either serve God or you serve the devil. Did you hear me? There's not an third option here folks if you live for self you serve the devil you either serve God or you serve the devil you either want God or you want earthly treasure money fame parties the like you either hope in eternity or in this life alone Jesus says we cannot serve two masters you will always prefer one you will love one you will despise the other you cannot serve God and money some of your Bibles will say mammon there 
It's an idol of wealth. Hear me very clearly. God has never, ever accepted divided loyalty. Think about the last couple catechism readings we've done and how much we've seen in that. Listen to Exodus 20, verses 1 through 6. God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. How about this? If you don't know this verse, you should. It's Isaiah 42, verse 8. Isaiah 42, 8. I am the Lord, that is my name. I am Yahweh, he says, that is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Or Philippians 2, 9 to 11. Therefore God has highly exalted him and given him, bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. God will never share his glory. God will never turn a blind eye to us robbing him of the glory due his name. God will be glorified. God will be honored. Every knee will ultimately and eternally bow in praise of Jesus to the glory of God the Father. And here's where it comes together. You will either love God or you'll hate him. You will either serve God, or you'll serve the devil. You will either find your hope in eternity with Christ, or you will store up treasures on this earth. You will either focus on the things of God, or you will focus on the things of this fleeting life. You will either treasure what lasts, or what will be destroyed. Here's the good news. Jesus came to give us life, eternal life. He came to give us eternal treasure. He came to raise us with him and seat us with him in the heavenly places. No matter how this worldly your focus has been, no matter how earthly and temporal your mindset has been, in Christ it can change. First, if you've never surrendered to Jesus and found salvation by grace through faith, this is the first move you must take. Turn from sin. Believe in Jesus and ask him, Jesus, please save my soul. You'll find that he has saved you and that you, he will begin changing you. And if you are a believer, take stock of your life. Be honest. Be serious. Where is your treasure? What are you treasuring above the Lord? Take stock of your thinking. 
Where are you focused more on this life than on the life to come? Take stock of your commitment. You can only serve one true master. Are you serving the Lord? Let's pray together and let's ask the Lord to be our treasure, to change our focus, and to lead us as our master. Heavenly Father, again, again we bow. And we've heard your word. The standards are clear. The expectations are clear. You have called on us to set our minds and our hearts on you and on eternity. You've called us to a heavenly focus. You've called us to a heavenly mindset. You've called us to make our treasure you and that which will last forever. You've called us to serve you as our master. Would you help us do it? We plead with you. Help us, God. Change our lives. Make us love you in Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen.